0: When I was preparing the sermon, it struck me, I wonder how much we know about Pontius Pilate other than what we read in the Bible. I'm sure most of us know Pontius Pilate's role in the New Testament. But, you know, Jewish historians have recorded a lot of events around Pilate. Philo and Josephus uh, describe some of the events and incidences that took place during Pilate's tenure. And both report that Pilate repeatedly caused near insurrections among the Jews because of his insensitivity to Jewish customs. Josephus recounts an incident where Pilate spent money from the temple to build an aqueduct. Pilate had his soldiers in the crowd of Jews while addressing them. When the Jews uh, protested what Pilate was about to do, he gave a signal to the soldiers who randomly attacked, beat and killed any of the Jewish people that were complaining in an attempt to silent any Jewish petition. In describing Pilate's personality, Philo writes in the first century that Pilate had a vindictiveness and furious temper, and was naturally inflexible. A blend of self-will and relentlessness. Referring to Pilate's governances, Philo further describes his corruption and his acts of insolence and his violence, using used to seize other property and his habit of insulting people and his cruelty and his continual murders of people untried and uncondemned, and his never-ending and gratuitous and most grievous inhumanity. Not a good resume, is it, so far? Um, Pilate's term, though, as a prefect in Judea ended after an incident recounted by Josephus. After a large group of uh, Samaritans had been persu- persuaded by an unnamed man to go uh, to a mountain outside, uh, sorry, in Israel, um, in order to find some sacred artefacts that were allegedly buried there by Moses. And when they came to the village, Pilate sent a detachment of cavalry and armed infantry who encountered the first comers at the village and slaughtered them in a pitched battle and put those that survived, took flight, Many prisoners were taken, and Pilate put to death the principal leaders and those who had the most influence. So I think it's really important that we understand just the nature and who Pilate was. You see, when you look at, when you look at the, all the movies that are done about Jesus, firstly we get this really dreadful Jesus with you know, blonde hair and blue eyes, but we also get this Pilate who is sort of like Oh, I don't know whether I want to kill Jesus. I, you know, just sort of like, whatever, I don't want to do it. It's a bit like Donald Trump, doesn't it? I don't want to do it, but you know, it's um, whatever you want to do, and then it sort of puts it on the Jewish people. But in fact, Pilate was ruthless. Killing another Jew would have meant nothing to Pilate. And so it's really important that we know a little more about Pilate, the sort of person. Jesus was going to have to face the sort of person that held little value little value of the lives of the Jewish people well our reading this morning Jesus is confronted with news of the cruelty of Pilate pilgrims from Galilee had been offering sacrifice in the temple Pilate sent in troops perhaps fearing a riot or uh, some other grandstand Um, and slaughtered them. Their blood was mixed with the blood of the sacrifices in the courtyard, polluting the place, not to mention the human tragedy of the event. But before we go too far, let's just place this conversation in context of where it sits in Luke's story. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem at the head of another party, From Galilee. So these people aren't just bringing Jesus news, they are bringing him a warning. I'm sure that if any of us were travelling overseas and we checked the uh, government website, Smart Traveller, and it advises that the place we were thinking of heading was randomly killing Australians, I'm pretty sure we'll probably find another place to take a holiday. I'm sure that the news from Jerusalem would have raised two questions for those around Jesus. Is he still going to go to Jerusalem? And given what Jesus has been saying recently about woes and curses coming to those who don't repent, is this a sign that those Galileans were being punished? Well, the first question isn't answered until much later in Luke, but as we know... Yes, Jesus still goes to Jerusalem. But Jesus does address the second question. But his answer seems to be rather abrupt, rather stern. Yes, Pilate is killing uh, Galileans. But they were no more sinful than any other Galilean. Jesus is only making the point that unless they repent they will be destroyed in the same way. But what does Jesus mean by the same way? Well, I don't think Jesus is talking about what happens when people die. You see, there's been numerous people that have used this passage as a warning for those who don't repent and who die will be punished and perish in hell. Jesus isn't talking about about and to those who... Sorry, Jesus is talking about and to those who were promoting a national rebellion. As you know, this was one of the options. This is one of the things that the Jewish people had hoped the Messiah would bring. So Jesus is saying, is saying to them that if you think you are going to go up against the Romans, then you'd better be willing to suffer the same consequence. But he is also saying that even if you don't take up the sword, you may well be crushed by the buildings in Jerusalem during the resulting siege. Building uh, building accidents aside, Jesus is saying that if they don't repent and turn away from their agenda and return to God's plan then the walls and the buildings of Jerusalem will fall in on them. Jesus is trying to point out to them the consequence of either a political or military solution rather than listening to his message of peace and, and what he is saying God wants from his people. Interestingly, that Jesus then throws in this parable of the fig tree in the vineyard. Uh, Fig trees were were pretty common trees as were vineyards and and fig trees would have been planted in the vineyard. But that doesn't certainly seem to be happening in Australia. Recently a few of us have been going up to a vineyard in Heathcote and I can tell you there was not a fig tree in sight up there. Um, But I think uh, we can look at this parable in two ways. We can look at it as if Jesus is the owner of the vineyard. He has been coming to god 's garden seeking to see fruit of repentance, but apart from a few followers who must be said seem to be a little confused most of the time around at what was going on around them, he has found none no repentance, not no repentance, not even in the cities and the towns where he'd done amazing things but he is prepared to give the people of Israel, and in particular Jerusalem, the temple and the ruling priests, one more chance. But this is their last chance. If they don't turn from their ways, their fate is sealed. The second way of looking at it is that the parable of this parable is that God is the vineyard owner. God the Father is the vineyard owner. And he is the one that's been coming to Israel these many years through the prophets, calling Israel to produce fruit. That would make Jesus the gardener who is now pleading the case for Israel. He is digging around and putting out fertilizer and trying to get some real growth, some sign of life and health out of the tree. But the owner's patience is running out and is about to pass judgment on the tree. Well, whichever one you like, the end is the same. If there is no fruit, if they continue to refuse to be the people of God, to live up to to the covenant with Abraham, then as a nation, they will be cut down and removed from the garden. Well, you can see how this thinking has influenced the rest of Luke's gospel uh, from about chapter 10 and for the rest of his gospel with, with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD as a direct result of refusing to follow the way of peace which Jesus had urged throughout his ministry. But I think this reading raises, it raises more questions than it actually answers especially for those around Jesus at the time. questions like, will Jerusalem repent and be saved? Jesus has already said that he expects to go to Jerusalem where he expects to die. How does his fate and that of the city relate to each other? It raises the question, what is God up to? I can imagine people struggling with these type and other questions at the time. But what sort of question does it raise for us to ask ourselves? Here are some of my thoughts. What is God up to in the world today? What is he up to in our lives? Are we bearing the kingdom fruit that God might be expecting from us? Well, these may seem rather obscure questions. But I think the early disciples may have thought the same when Jesus raised similar ones with them. Let's not be like the early disciples. Let's not be confused by the teachings of Jesus. It is our vocation, it is our calling to be the people of God to live such lives that produce such fruit as the people of God that it makes others want to know this Jesus that we are following. Given what's happened in recent weeks in the Christian church, it, the spotlight has never been more focused on the church than this time. It is a time for us to show grace. It is a time for us to show joy. And hope, the hope we have in Jesus, the hope we have of being the people of God. Amen.